Hi, fantasy readers. This is Corinne Norton, your fellow book binger, and you are listening to the Finding Fantasy Reads podcast, where you can test out a new fantasy story every single week to find your next favorite author. Today's story might bring you back to your childhood as you follow a retelling of Peter Pan. It's written by Brittany Fichter, who lives with her Prince Charming, Little Fairy, and Little Prince in a decently clean castle in whatever kingdom the Air Force has most recently placed them. When she's not writing, she can be found with her family, including their spoiled black Labrador, doing chores she'd rather be writing, going to church, belting Disney songs, exercising, or decorating cakes. I used to decorate cakes. I even took those Wilton classes they used to offer at Michael's. I don't even know if they still offer those. But there's a reason I don't do it anymore. I was never very good at it. I would love to see some of her cakes. Today's narrator is Peter Franson, host of Christian Geek Central. Stick around to the end or check out today's show notes to see where you can find more from both the author and the narrator, as well as how to enter our giveaway. For now, please enjoy Hope in the Night by Brittany Victor. Ow! Peter! Watch what you're doing! Tink smacked Peter's foot so hard it hurt. Not badly, but enough to rouse him from his stupor. What? He shook his head and rubbed his eyes. Tink stared. You just smacked my nose with your foot. Did you really not notice? It's your fault for being on the ground. Peter sat up in his hammock and stretched. I've told you, if you want to lay around, do it in your room on your own hammock. Peter's grumpy, little Pop whispered to his brother. They were playing near the main hearth, where they could throw small sticks into the fire without being told to stop, as close as Peter would let them. Bet you five coppers he sends Tink to her room tonight. No, you're not going to be betting anyone anything, Peter said, arching an eyebrow at the boys. Besides, you don't have any coppers. I had coppers once, Curly said dreamily from his corner, where he was herding a pile of bugs into the little hole he'd dug into the ground. Nibs rolled his eyes. No, you didn't. I'm also, Peter said loudly, going out. So I want Toodles to go get Moonflower to come and watch you when you sleep. The boys groaned, all but Toodles, only too happy to do exactly as Peter said. They waited until Moonflower arrived, full of the usual complaints and grumblings, but carrying her weaving basket no less. Peter hardly stopped long enough to properly thank her, but she just waved at the stump tree's exit. The sooner you're gone, the sooner I can go home, so out with you. Why are we going out? Tink asked as she followed him up into the evening sky. Any other evening, Peter would have reveled in the purples, reds, oranges, yellows, and blues that colored the world around them. But tonight, it was all familiar. Too familiar. Everything he could see now, he'd seen a thousand times before. The glorious sunsets and the midnight thunderstorms, the millions of flowers that covered the mountainside, and the spotless beaches that lined Neverland's coast. I don't know why you're in a bad mood, Tink gasped for breath as she climbed behind him. Would you slow down? Peter came to a halt so fast, Tink nearly slammed into him. What is it, Tink? She glowered at him. All I'm saying is that maybe you should imagine up something new. That always puts you in a good mood. Peter considered this. It was true that he usually found a sort of rest in creating new bits and pieces for Neverland, 
But for the first time since he could remember, Peter found no pleasure in even the thought of building something new. No, tonight's grief wouldn't be assuaged by distraction. Not even time had been enough to heal the wound, and that left Peter feeling helpless and more than a little frightened. Would he carry this burden forever, alone? I'm going to go check on the boys, he said suddenly, surprising even himself. Oh no, Tink gave a hop back in the air. This is a bad idea, and you know it. Peter turned and headed north. I never said you had to come. Peter, Tink cried, the wind muffling her words. Every time you do this, you think it will make you feel better, and every time it only makes things worse. But Peter didn't listen. Instead, he burst through Neverland's barrier and shot straight up into the sky until he could see most of the northwest part of the continent. Then he found his destination, like a hawk to the water, dove. Peter didn't consider himself a particularly proud boy. Confident was his preferred description, but he had just enough pride left, even after such a terrible day, that he quickly chose Calum, simply to save face in front of Tinkerbell. It took him less than an hour to reach the capital, and not much more to find his target. Peter's lost boys were an anomaly. He did his best to care for and shelter them, and most of all, tried to let them know they were never alone. But they always left. Dozens, perhaps more, had passed through Neverland in the five hundred years since he'd begun bringing orphans home with him from the old world, and not one from the original set or the one after that or the one after that, remained. Oh, they always learned to love Neverland. He couldn't recall over a handful that hadn't. But no matter how many decades they might thrive under his care, they always ended up leaving. And as if to make it worse, few found their way after. Most regressed into the world of pickpockets and petty thieves, and the few that did somehow manage to pull themselves from the society's dregs seemed to struggle with fitting in no matter how much money or stability they acquired. Where did he keep going wrong? His first boy in Calum turned out to have wrought a better life for himself than Peter had expected, considering the boy's uncanny ability to rob people blind. But as this was Peter's second time checking up on the boy, he was relieved to see that he'd maintained his post at King Xander's palace. He wasn't hard to spot tonight. The last time Peter had learned where the boy had taken up residence, Peter had snuck through an open window and spent several hours flitting around the palace until he spotted his boy. Tonight, however, he needed no such artistry. There was some sort of royal reception taking place, heralded by the dozens of carriages that lined the palace's gently sloping hill, waiting to allow their riders to descend at the palace gates. The white palace walls sparkled, even in the low light of dusk, and the hundreds of flickering lamps that lined the drive made it seem nearly as light as day, and Peter's boy, Roger, stood right in the midst of the throng. Of course, Roger was no longer the young, rakish lad Peter remembered. Instead, he'd grown into a stout, pleasant-faced young man who appeared to be about nineteen years. Even more, he must have proved himself worthy because he was now standing at the side of young Prince Nicholas as the prince greeted his guests. Peter's heart twisted as he watched Roger. Pride, of course, filled him, and relief that the boy hadn't been thrown in prison or hired himself out to thugs for dirty, cheap jobs to fill his belly. 
But there was also a loneliness he couldn't quite put his finger on. It was the same loneliness that had been eating at him, and now, if he really stopped to think about it, made him feel like he was dying a little more inside every day. Tink was right. This had been a bad idea. Are you satisfied now? Tink whispered in Peter's ear, making him jump from her sudden proximity. Can we go? Peter shook his head. Not yet. I want to see some of the others. Tink started to whine, but Peter was gone before she could finish her sentence. If he was honest, Tinkerbell was right. He didn't really want to go see the rest of his boys. The ones that were still alive, anyhow. But he also wasn't ready to go home. So there was nothing more to do than to move on to Isaac to see if he was doing as well as Roger. He wasn't. In fact, the next four boys that Peter searched out were all either in jail or living in the streets. At least none were dead, Peter tried to cheer himself as they moved on. Peter didn't mean to visit the little port town south of Solwind. He'd planned on visiting the little town of Beddington, where two of his boys had taken up residence. But somehow, he found them landing on the edge of a dock between the ships and a neat little row of cottages that faced them. Peter! Tink hissed. This is a bad idea. Every time we come here, you... She froze. Wait, what day is it? Finally, she'd remembered. It's been thirteen years, he whispered. She sighed. When she spoke again, her anger was gone. It's late, Peter. He's probably inside and asleep if he even lives here at all anymore. I know, Peter swallowed as he stared into the glass panes of the little blue house on the corner. Tink was right, of course. Jay would be a grown man now, probably having struck out on his own years ago. There was no reason to think he'd step out onto his porch, look over at the empty docks, and spot Peter to yell his greeting. Even if he did, Peter might not know him anymore. He knew all this, of course. He knew it every time he decided to visit his boys, and yet it still left a raw, jagged wound inside his heart as he wished for the faces of those he'd had to let go. Saying goodbye was bad enough, but knowing he would probably never see them again? Peter, Tink said, laying her little hand on his arm. Let's go back. I'll have Tiger Lily make you some of that soup you like. You can sleep, and you'll feel better in the but Peter had stood and was already shaking his head. I need to see Amos and Sam. Tink snorted. I'm sure Amos is exactly where you left him, drinking at night and spinning tales of nonsense by day. I want to see them, and I'm going to. Peter began to rise into the air, and Tink pulled him back down. Don't you understand? Her pale eyes, bright in the moonlight, pleaded with him, and her voice shook. They left us. They made their decision. But I... Peter! She glared at him, the corners of her eyes bright and shiny. They don't want us anymore. I get that. The lost boys at home get that. Why can't you? Peter scowled. That's easy for you to say. You have your family. Tink blinked at him. I'm an orphan, Peter. Yeah, but you've still got the fae. Who have I got but the lost boys, Tink? Who do I have that wants me for me, hmm? Tink's chin quivered. You've got me, Peter. Guilt hit Peter like a casem ball, and he pulled the little fay into a hug. I'm sorry, Tink. 
You know I'm glad to have you. I just... He stepped back and rubbed his head as he stared up at the moon. I just wish I could explain. Something's missing. She pouted. It doesn't have to be. Peter shook his head. This wasn't an argument he wanted to be having right now. We'd better go finish up our rounds so we're back in time to get some sleep. He chucked her on the chin and rose up into the air again. She didn't say anything as she followed behind, but he could hear her pitiful little sobs as they made their way through the sky. Peter truly did feel bad about making her cry. He also felt bad that he couldn't make her understand. That was the thing about the Fae. They had enough and were enough unto themselves, and any care beyond the borders of their little world was deemed unnecessary and even dangerous, as Tiger Lily had hinted to Peter countless times. Given the value they placed on their own and tradition, however, Peter thought it should have been easy for them to understand his longing. The need for companionship had been there for a long time, longer than he could remember. The Neverstar, of course, understood, as did Jay, but the Neverstar was still just a star, something even she pointed out from time to time, and no proper companion for a boy of fourteen years, or whatever he was. And Jay was now gone. Is it so selfish to want a friend of my own? Peter prayed to the Maker as he descended above Beddington. Someone who wants me for me. As opposed to the way the Fae wanted him to care for and keep Neverland, or the lost boys who looked to him for everything they needed to survive. Not that he blamed them for that, of course, but surely there had to be something, someone more. Peter landed in the shadow beside the big house. It had taken several weeks of repeatedly poking around this sleepy little town to figure out where one of his more recent boys had gone. Most of his boys wandered here and there after leaving Neverland, but Sam gave the term vagabond new meaning. Finally, Peter had learned that he'd gone to the largest wheat farm in a sleepy little town called Beddington, which probably meant he was out of money. The property was larger than Peter had expected. A neat farmhouse sat in the middle of the clearing, the drive going all the way around it. On the other side of the gravel drive were three barns. Peter stood on the side of the house that had no windows, on the edge of the vegetable garden that backed up to the house. It was full dark now, lighted only by the moon, meaning he would be more obvious than usual if he flew off again with anyone near enough to see. But Peter wasn't here to fly off again immediately. He was here to find Sam. Where is he? Tink, who was standing at his left elbow, whispered. Peter shook his head. I don't know. If they hire a lot of hands for harvest, they might put them in the barns. Let's look. Peter and Tink flitted from shadow to shadow, ears straining for sounds of life. The first barn was full of farming and gardening tools and animals. The second barn, however, was full of bunks, exactly what they'd been looking for. Peter and Tink slipped through one of the windows, which had been left open, probably for the cooler night air. They hovered inches off the ground so as to stay silent among the dozens of sleeping men and boys. If Peter had been judged according to physical standards, he was probably around the age of fourteen. Many of the boys, including the one he was looking for, would only look several years older. It was a strange sensation, knowing that if life were as it ought to be, he would have to shoulder the responsibility of earning his keep like this. Peter's musings were brushed aside, though, when Tink motioned to him. Sure enough, she was standing beside Sam. 
Sam had indeed grown since Peter had last seen him. His hair was shorter, and he was sporting the beginnings of whiskers. If he'd been standing, he probably would have been a good two or three inches taller than Peter as well. His face, however, was the same. A little less round, perhaps, but Peter knew every inch of it by heart, just as he did all his lost boys. They might leave him, but none ever escaped his mind. His heart, too, did a little achy thump. It would be so easy to reach out and gently shake him awake, and for a moment Peter wanted nothing more than to wake the boy for just a few moments. He wanted to hear his voice one more time, and to see the way his brown eyes lit up when he was happy. And at one point in time, he would have. But Peter had found out the hard way. Coming back was too confusing for the boys, and the older they got, the worse it went. The meetings he'd once held as reunions in his mind were like nightmares for them. Apparently, the world always convinced them, sooner or later, that Neverland had all been just a dream. And for some reason, once the boys made the decision to think that way, they seemed happier, or at least more settled. Whenever he'd popped up in years past to surprise one of his old lost boys with a visit, they'd suffered from something that seemed very near shock. Sam wasn't in any danger of being awakened by Peter tonight. Or ever. Peter had learned his lesson well. But that didn't take away the ache inside of one more bright soul he would never speak to again. The boy Peter had rocked to sleep was gone, and there was a young man in his place. Sighing, Peter motioned for them to go. Tink followed him out of the barn, but as soon as they were back in the shadow of the main house, she shook her head. I don't know why you keep following them. It only makes you miserable, she whispered. You don't miss them, Peter said quietly. She thought for a minute, then shrugged. I don't know. Some of them, I supposed. But you've taken so many in that they've all started to run together. As soon as they're gone, we know we won't talk to them again. So why bother? For some reason, that only made Peter's chest tighter. What did this world have that he didn't? He could create any food, object, or game with the flick of his hand. He filled their bellies and brought them to a safe, warm bed. And yet, they still chose to leave him. Even Jay had gone. What was he missing? Just as they were about to take off, he noticed movement in the drive that encircled the main house. Peter grabbed Tink's arm to keep her from taking off into the sky and nodded over at the man who had just emerged from the main house. He looked as though he were headed toward the first barn. They waited, motionless, for him to pass. But as they were waiting, a soft, melodious sound floated down to him on a breeze. It seemed to be coming from one of the windows on the north side of the house, and as soon as the man on the drive was safely in the first barn, Peter launched himself into the tree and listened again. Peter Pan knew better than the naughty little mermaid. He froze. The beautiful sound was a voice, a girl's voice. Of course, that might have been ordinary enough if she hadn't used his name. Peter glanced over his shoulder to look at Tink. She shrugged, but her eyes were nearly as big as his, which meant she had heard it too. Peter listened again. What about the crocodile, Wendy? A little boy asked. Tell us about that. The girl, Wendy, laughed, a lovely bubbling sound. Oh, Michael, the crocodile doesn't live in the ocean in Neverland. He lives in a marsh on the east side of the island. 
Peter found it difficult to breathe steadily. Who were these children? And how did they know about Neverland? Peter racked his brains, trying to remember a lost boy he might have lost in the area, who might have had children or grandchildren by now, children he might have shared his stories with. How do you know? another boy asked. This one sounded older. Amos says so, Wendy responded. Amos. Suddenly, it all made sense. The old man must still be sharing his stories in the square with the village children. Peter, Tink whispered. We need to go. Hold on, Peter whispered back. I want to hear this. Tink scoffed. So what? They've heard Amos's drunk stories. And yet, Peter waved her off. He couldn't explain it, but a little thrill ran through him whenever she said his name. If only he could see her. He leaned forward to look through the window, which had just been left open a crack. When he leaned too far and fell forward, he caught himself in midair, but not before knocking against the window. From the panic that ensued the room inside, he knew they'd heard it, and regret and self-loathing immediately began to battle inside him. All right, if we needed to go before, we really need to go now, Tink hissed, and she was right. Of course she was. Any second now, the girl would sound the alarm, and her father would be out the door in a hurry. And while Peter and Tink could fly easily out of the tree and up into the inky blackness of the night, Peter had found out several times in the past that some humans were particularly gifted with aiming their arrows. But just as he was about to follow Tink into the sky, he saw two movements from below at the same time. On his left was the girl. She ran out of the house and looked around, breathing hard as though she'd run all the way down from the upstairs room. She seemed to be looking for something. A foolish thought in his head wished it were him. The other movement, however, came from someone far less innocent and young. A drunk man, probably in his fifth decade, came rambling up the drive toward her. Peter, someone is going to see us. Let's go, Tink pleaded. But Peter couldn't go. Not when Wendy, as the boy had called her, looked so frightened. She stared at the old drunkard as he rounded the corner. Run, he wanted to yell down to her. Run back into the house. The girl stood frozen, though, as though she'd been welded to the spot. And when the old man leered at her, Peter couldn't take it any longer. Slipping out of the tree, he ordered his shadow to separate, and together they quickly took the old man off his feet, gagged, and bound him. He reeked of sour ale, among other things, but other than his stench, he wasn't very strong. And for once, Peter's shadow put up no fight in making sure the man couldn't advance toward Wendy. Wendy. Peter looked up to see her staring right at him. Her mouth was slightly open, and her eyes were the size of walnuts, beautiful eyes, big and blue. Her golden curls glowed in the moonlight, the lavender nightdress she wore making her look like one of the little pixies from ancient stories his own mother had once told him. She was breathtaking. She also looked terrified. He should leave. He'd saved her from any possible trouble the good-for-nothing at his feet might have given her, and yet... Peter? The word had been little more than a whisper, but something in his chest stopped working at the sound of his name on her lips. The pain and tightness that had filled his chest all day, maybe for the last thirteen years, seemed to be released, like a wild horse shaking off man's ropes. 
For the first time since Peter could remember, he finally felt free, free of the shackles of his promise to the Fae, free to simply be as she called him, Peter. He opened his mouth to respond, but the sounds of heavy footsteps sounded nearby, and as much as it killed him, Peter knew his time had come. This Wendy might miraculously know who he was, but whatever man was making those footsteps wouldn't. Before he could talk himself out of leaving, he forced himself up into the sky just before the man turned the corner. Tink was already waiting, and she did not look happy. That was about the most idiotic thing you've ever done. Are you finally ready to go now, or are we going to hunt Amos down in whatever tavern he's in? Because I'm just over the moon excited to see one of those. She continued to snap in this acerbic manner all the way back to Neverland. Of course, Peter had meant to check on Amos, too, but he hadn't expected to find Wendy or to spend so much time watching her. He could always visit Amos later. The old man never strayed from his favorite spots in the town square or the local tavern. "'Are you even listening to me?' Tink huffed as they crossed back into Neverland. Peter smiled as he studied the approaching island. "'Actually, I was thinking that you had a good idea earlier.' Tink paused where she was. Oh? He felt his smile widen as he looked back out at the scene before them. I haven't built something in a while, and I think I've got just the thing Neverland needs. Tinkerbell blinked at him. Oh, well, good, because I'm not getting that close to getting caught for a long time, you hear? But Peter barely heard her. Instead, he was focusing on the space between Mermaid Lagoon and the main island. The way the moon lit the shore was so pretty, making the sand nearly sparkle. But what if there was something to sparkle even more? Something with blue the color of a pretty girl's eyes, and purple like her nightdress, indigo for the night, and gold for her hair, green, orange, red, and indigo for the way she colored the dark world around her. Yes, Peter laughed to himself. Tink had been right. Building Wendy's rainbow would be the perfect way to bring some light into his often dark world. It would be like bringing her with him. And this was only just the beginning. I hope you enjoyed listening to Hope in the Night by Brittany Fichter, narrated by Peter Franson of Christian Geek Central. If you want to read more by Brittany, go to BrittanyFictorFiction.com to find more of her books. While there, you can also sign up for her newsletter, which will get you access to free books, bonus short stories, sneak peeks, and coupon codes for her store. You can also subscribe to her YouTube channel, where she puts her fairy tales for free in audiobook format. If you enjoyed listening to Peter narrate the story, you might also enjoy listening to his podcast, Christian Geek Central where he discusses movies, video games, and all things enjoyed by self-proclaimed geeks from a Christian worldview. Don't forget about this month's giveaway, which includes an ebook copy of both Neverland Falling and Breaking Neverland, the duology that accompanies the story you just heard by Brittany Fichter. Go to findingfantasyreads.com giveaway to enter. This is our 22nd episode, which means we are fast approaching this baby podcast turning six months old. And because so many of you have left reviews and sent me emails, I know I'm not the only one who's loving it. But I do want to make sure that you all continue to love it. 
So I've put together a super short survey with just five questions so you can let me know how I'm doing and what I can do better. It will only take a couple minutes for you to fill out. So if you want to have a say in how this podcast morphs and grows over time, head to findingfantasyreads.com survey and let me know your thoughts. As always, I will have links for all of those sites in the show notes. Thank you all for listening and happy reading.